Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. With me, Wes Peppers. Welcome, Wes. Thank you, Pastor John. Good and to be here. And this is the program where we get to answer your Bible questions. We hope you'll share them with us if you have them. And, uh, and just think, if you've got a question and we answer it, so many people have benefited and blessed by the answer to your question. So here's how you get a question to us. Email us, lineuponline at iiw.org. Line Upon Line at IIW.org. Now, I've been answering Bible questions for a lot of years, and you've been doing the same thing. Do you remember a question ever just really stumping you? Yeah, you know, I've had some where I've had to just do a little research before that and get back to a person. And, you know, nobody knows every answer right off the top of their head. Sometimes you have to think about it a little bit. I had a lot of questions when I first became a Christian but gradually over time, you start to learn those, and as you share them, they kind of reinforce in your own mind and heart. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If, yeah. if, we don't, if we don't know the answer to the question you ask, we'll just tell you, sorry, we don't know. And then we'll try to find an answer. Uh, but get those questions into us and bless others by so doing. Here's the question we're going to begin with. Sure. Question is, and it's from Teresa, were there people outside of Eden? It says Cain was exiled from Eden when he murdered Adam, and he was worried about how wild it was out there, worried about people killing him. Where did the people come from? Now, obviously, there were people out there. That's why he was concerned. That's right. Where'd they come from? Sure. You know, the Bible indicates in Genesis, early chapters, that it says Adam had sons and daughters. It doesn't say what their names were. It doesn't say how many there were. But some of the children of Adam were named and some weren't. and so Named in the Bible. Named in the Bible, that's right. And it's very clear that those people began to spread out into the earth and populate the earth just like God had said. And for whatever reason, the Bible didn't mention them or talk about them in detail. So the Bible sometimes will make statements, but it doesn't explain the pieces behind it. And that's okay because obviously it can only be so long. But... Uh, nonetheless, there were those people out there. That's the ones that he was afraid of. Some people think that maybe there were people before Adam and Eve. The Bible doesn't say that. Very clearly that they came afterwards. It just doesn't speak about it. Now, let's think about what the dynamics were back there. Today, women typically typically start having children, typically 17, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most children are born to women who are early 20s to early 30s. Most, m- more Women are waiting a little longer now. You don't get many children born after the age of 40, after a woman, the mother is 40, because, you know, the doctors will say it gets a little riskier. It's a little tough. Yeah. So I'm just going to say for round numbers, the kids are born to women aged between 20 and 40, you know, 20 and 38, whatever the case is. How many years did Eve bear children? You know, we don't know. We know she lived hundreds of years. Yes. So... Her childbearing years may have been between 30 and 380. Sure. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So she has a daughter when she's 35. When she's 65, her daughter is having a daughter. When she's 95, when she's, by the time Eve is 350 years of age, there may be multiple generations 
So if you think about that, I don't know, did Eve have children until she was 500? I just don't know. Were women more, um, did they have more children back there? Were there more twins and triplets and quadruplets? I don't know. Don't know. So there's a lot we don't know, right? Sure, that's right. But what we do know is that they're in the Garden of Eden. Cain killed Abel. He took off and he was concerned because there was people out there. We know that. That's right. We know there's only one Adam and we know there's only one Eve. That's right. Question for you from Michelle. Why did Jesus not speak on the LGBTQ lifestyle? I read Romans and other books. So many youth are struggling with this. Yeah, let me, let me talk to this. Yeah, a lot of young people are struggling with this, and I find it really interesting that when I was a kid, not many young people were struggling with this. Not many. Um, certainly some, but not many. And I don't know that we have the time or the scope to investigate all the reasons as to why that is, that today it's more of a phenomenon. If you say it has nothing to do with social media, you're, you're lying. Sure. Yeah. You have That's rocks right. in your head. That's of right. course it does. Of course it has to do with encouragement and influence and curiosity and, and some of that. And some factors I'm sure that we don't know anything about. Michelle, Jesus did speak about the LGBTQ lifestyle, but he spoke about the LGBTQI as in, I know I is, is for intersex today, but I for immorality and P for pervert and U for unfaithful and A for adultery. He spoke about all of that. What Jesus emphasized was sexual purity and moral purity. And he emphasized that, that sexual relationships should take place within the confines of marriage. And you understand, don't you? That children, now someone's going to think I'm being critical. I'm not. If you knew my broader family, you'd understand I'm not. The facts are children born into two-parent households do better on every level by every measure. Mm -hmm. Now, where I'm from, um, and again, I, I want you to hear me with some grace, even though someone's going to think I'm not being gracious. When, when it became much easier for women to have children without there being a husband in the picture. Then it just started to happen more and more and more. Men abdicated their responsibilities. That's a crime in the eyes of God. So many kids being born as a result of lust and a man who once upon a time would have made an honest woman out of her just left yes. and just said, this is not my concern. You take care of that. And so there's a woman somewhere doing her very best to raise a child, and she's got to be the mother and the father. She's got to be in two places at once. She's got to work and raise a kid, and how can she go to the game and help with homework and all of that? You understand I'm not speaking against women who find themselves in that situation. I'm not. I'm talking against a societal trend that has just left kids to flounder because they're not allowing them to be raised in the comfort and the security and the providence of a two-parent household. So there's just so much in the Bible that God speaks against on a moral level. He's against it all, all the stuff that tends to cheapen and lessen marriage and depower the home, and society is built on the home. So you wonder, why didn't he speak about this lifestyle? He did. He spoke against all sexual behavior, moral behavior that falls outside the will of God. He did speak to it, just not as specifically as you'd like you know, people often think that uh, the, the the situations of this nature that we're going through in this day and age in this culture, that it's it's something new, it's right. something different. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that was the things that Jesus said were for then, but this is now, and times are different. 
But really, they're not different. Mor- morality, purity, mm-hmm. uh, innocence, those types of things are still uh, applicable today, the things that Jesus taught. And so sometimes people want to dismiss the te- teachings of Jesus, thinking that they're outdated, but really they ring true in this generation, probably even more so oh, yeah. than previous generations. Oh, yeah. And what he spoke to in that day. Yes. I mean, Jesus was yes. raised in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. I quoted not long ago from a researcher from, I think, James Madison University, who said that immorality was a foreign concept to the Romans. They were some earthy people. Right. And it were no holds barred. Immorality was foreign to them because anything went. Anything. There, anything was, there was no restraint. That's right. Yeah. So I don't think we need to pretend that the sorts of things we're dealing with today just didn't happen in Jesus' day sure. From, sure. A, from a moral perspective, however you want to classify that. Or that that's some new thing that requires a new set of rules yeah. or, or principles, yeah. what Jesus said is very applicable to today. Now, I'll say this. If you identify as LGBTQI or something else, God bless you. I mean, I, this isn't the forum for me to, to oppose that. Uh, what I mean to say is that someone's not going to like that. Yeah, yeah. What I mean to say is this. You can be whatever you feel like being, whatever you believe you are, however you identify. But at the same time, allow God to work in your life. There are many, many people who have said, as a male, I'm not attracted to females, but they kept themselves pure. As a female, I'm not attracted to males. So they didn't get married, and they lived a life of purity, a life of abstinence. Now, that just sounds like too too heavy a cross for some people to carry. Well, I mean, you do you. And, but then there's a judgment to look forward to, and you've got to, you want to live under the, in the smile of God and in the blessing of God. So um, all moral behavior that falls outside the will of God is outside the will of God. Mm-hmm. But you've got to know that however you believe you are wired or made, God is able to keep you in the center of his will and guide you in a pathway that honors him, that honors him. That's really important. That's right. All righty. Question from Jennifer. She asks about Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. Could you explain Paul's statement that he became all things to all people? 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. Sure. I'll, I'll just read that. It, it says that Paul speaking here, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all men that I might, by all means, save some. And so he's here not speaking about issues of morality. He's speaking really of issues of culture that don't conflict with morality. So, so did he say, I, I went to the bar and got drunk so I could reach That's the right. drunks? He did not say that. I oh, didn't say that. It's correct that he did not say that. Okay. okay. And, and so when you think about the Ten Commandments, Paul was a Christian first. His allegiance was to Christ he followed Jesus. He, his heart was transformed. He observed the Ten Commandments out of love for Christ, knowing that the grace of God was working in his life. So he, Paul would not compromise his faith or compromise the teachings or the faith or the truth of God in order to do some activity to win some. Now, I've heard of people, Pastor John, that have said, well, you know, my, I went out with my friends, I, and I know the Bible says don't drink alcohol, and I know it's not right, but I wanted to fit in with them so that I could witness to them. And I think that's a grave mistake because what happens is you fall into that and then either one of two things happen. 
either you end up drinking more and more and you develop a bad habit, or if you, at some point, if they do wake up spiritually, they say, hey, you're a Christian. Why were you drinking with us? Why didn't you stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that? You know, the perfect example of this is Daniel chapter 1, when he was in the king's court. Yeah. He, he did not eat, but God gave him wisdom in a way to do it tactfully. And we want to remember that as well. So Paul here was not compromising his faith. He was not, when he says, I was all things to all people, it doesn't mean he did anything sinful with them. But he, was, he adapted their cultural practices as much as he could until it conflicted with the will and the word of God. So think about Daniel. There he was in Babylon. It was really heathen. He lived his convictions before God to the extent that his enemy said, we can't find anything to trip him up on. That's right. He said, uh, I'd rather go to the lion's den than compromise my faith. As a kid, he goes down to Babylon and says, you know, really, I'd rather not eat that food. What can you do to help me out? Mm-hmm. And God honored him. And he we're still him. talking about his example today. What if we went down there and worshipped in their temples, ate their food, bowed before their idols? We'd never have heard of them, and he wouldn't be influencing That's people right. today. That's so right. you live your life for Christ. You let your light shine. You trust that God is going to work through you in your situation. That's what God did through Paul. Wherever he was, he adapted so that he could fit in, but he never compromised his faith. We are back with more of your questions in just a moment. This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. It has followed God's people since the dawn of time, under the pharaohs of Egypt. The decree against the Jews in the time of Esther. Herod's decree against baby boys in the time of Jesus. And Jesus said many of his followers would be persecuted. The Roman emperor Diocletian took persecution to a whole new level. Houses of worship were destroyed, and Christians who refused to sacrifice to the gods were put to death. History has a habit of repeating, and the Bible makes clear that when it comes to persecution, history is going to repeat. Don't miss History Repeats on itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Line Upon Line with Wes Peppers. I'm John Bradshaw. We're answering your Bible questions. And Wes, here's a good one. Yes. And it's a question from Renee. Who says, I'm really trying to fit Deuteronomy 14.26 into what I believe God has said about the destructiveness of drinking alcohol, but I'm struggling to understand what Moses meant by this text. Can you please help? Deuteronomy 14.26. you want to take a run at that? Sure, let's read that. It says, And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or similar drink, or in the King James it says strong drink, strong drink, or whatever your heart desires. You shall eat therefore before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice you and your household. And so, you know, it can seem a little bit confusing here with uh, the, the strong drink typically referred to as alcoholic wine or beer or whatever you want to call it. And so here he's talking about um, the, the the caring of the tithe to the temple. And so it's very important for us to remember that he's not telling them that they should drink it. He's saying to them they can buy it with that money. Why, Wes? 
would they buy strong drink if they weren't going to drink it? Well, that's a good question. They might use it for other things. I mean, alcohol is a great disinfectant. Uh, it can be used for cooking. It can be used for a myriad of reasons. Yeah, healing. There's no yeah, pain killing. That's right. There's no indication that they're using it for drinking. Yep. And there's and there are some cases where you buy that and then water it down so that it's way mm-hmm. less potent. That's right. It, it might be like something low alcoholic, which I would stay away from. But and by the way, uh, David married a gaggle of women. And then his son Solomon made David look like an amateur. Mm-hmm. And God worked with both of those men, even though they were in flagrant violation of the express command of Almighty God. Um, we have to be careful here, I know. But in the Bible, there were times that God met people where they were. That's right. You know, And he worked with them how they were, where they were. Um, Abraham, ay, ay, ay. God says, you're going to have a child. Oh, okay. Sarah says, well, it's not working out, so take my handmaid. And Abraham said, oh, okay. And yet Abraham's the father of the faithful. You know, Wes, if you, if, if you had a good friend who did that, you wouldn't be saying, well, it's okay. That's You'd right. be counseling that That's friend right. and saying, what are you thinking, man? Yes. That's a terrible thing yes. for you to do. You, you know, know the, the church might even censure somebody like that. Sure enough, and and they would, and, and, and really they should, depending upon the knowledge and understanding of a person. Right. I mean, I've heard a story of, of people who accepted Christ and they drank beer to celebrate that. And so you, sometimes it's a matter of education and people don't fully understand what the truth says. But when you look at the Bible consistently all the way through, it indicates that alcohol is not a good choice for Christians. And it says that many times just stay away from it when it swirls in the cup and it's fizzing and this kind of thing, talking about alcoholic wine. That's right. That's very clear. It's very clear. And so science has proven, of course, you know, that it impairs judgment and it causes you to make unwise decisions. And it's very difficult for the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you when your brain is numb with alcohol. And, you know, it causes all kinds of heartache. It causes abuse and accidents and all these things. So it's best to stay away from it. And although alcohol has other uses, like we're pointing out here, disinfectant and cooking and different things. So just be careful. Again, one text in the Bible, it doesn't give a command here to drink it or say that we should drink it. Yeah, there's two things I want to pick up on, and I'll be lucky to remember them both. One of them, oh, oh, I said to a, a policeman friend of mine, I, I said, how much crime that you investigate is down to alcohol? He said 90%. Mm-hmm. So I said to another a cop friend, I said, hey, man, I, I was told 90% of a policeman's work is alcohol-related. He said, that's wrong. Mm. Oh, wow. He said 95%. Mm. Take alcohol yeah, out of the equation, yeah. and many of our law enforcement officials would be just about out of a job. It's a curse. Christians should not be saying, how can I cozy up to this? I just can't understand that thinking. You want to be like your friends who are alcohol drinkers or whatever the case might be. No, you leave them to them. It's never been easier to not drink alcohol than it is today. For you to say, no, you know, not me. I'd rather drink something non-alcoholic. I'll drink water. It's okay for you, but not for me. It's easy to do that today. Back to your point. Be gracious, yeah. Just one text. So you've you've got the Bible all the way through. Speaking against alcohol or speaking about alcohol in a negative sense, you you wouldn't, would you, go to Deuteronomy 14.26 and say, well, I don't understand that, so maybe alcohol is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. No, right. hold on. You say, I don't understand that, but I do understand the verses that say it stings like an adder. 
and you'll, you'll, you'll utter perverse things and things. lead you to immorality. You understand that. So go with what you know, and if there's a verse that you're not quite sure of, you pray and study and seek wisdom and don't That's let right. it turn you aside, even though I must say I, I, there's no evidence that this is turning you aside. You simply said you're struggling to understand it. Mm-hmm. Good question. Danielle asks another one. Are there jobs or careers that a Christian should not take? Oh, certainly. Yeah, but notice what she says. For instance, being a prosecuting or defense attorney requires a lawyer to lie even when you know that your client is really guilty or innocent and you still have to defend or prosecute them. Well, I would take issue with that. I don't think the job requires that you lie, even though many may or some may. I I think there would be a lawyer right now who is aghast at the thought that you've said they have to lie. I don't think that lying is a prerequisite for being a lawyer, even though some lawyers are probably pretty good at that dark art. So are there jobs or careers Christians shouldn't take? Yeah, certainly. If there's something that's blatantly against God's Ten Commandments or some very clear taught principle in his word, I would not recommend you to do that. Breaking Any, the Sabbath. Anything that requires you to break the Sabbath. That's right. You that's don't right. do that. You know, my wife one time, we had uh, I was a Bible worker, and we were living in this home of a generous church member who allowed us to stay there. And right next door to our house was a gas station, and my wife was going to uh, go over there, and she applied for a job, and she told them she needed to be off on the Sabbath. They said, sure, no problem. And it, it, it hadn't occurred to us because neither of us had ever worked in that kind of work. But she looked over, and she saw all the beer in the fridge. She, she, she saw all the cigarettes on the, on the wall, and she said, uh, I don't think I could do this. And so she decided actually not to take that job because she didn't want to be selling people uh, all those items. And so, yeah, I think a person has to consider that and they have to reflect upon the nature of the job. Now, some people can take that to extremes, so we don't want to do that either. Uh, But at the same time, if there's something very obvious, breaking the Sabbath, causing uh, very direct damage to someone in some way, if I'm forced to lie for a job, though that would not be a job we want to pursue. So met a fellow, and he was not a member of the church I'm a member of. I was conducting a series of meetings, and we were talking about this thing about Sabbath-keeping. And he said, well, let me tell you. He said, I-, I was a truck driver. And my employer said, look, I want you to falsify the logbook. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy is a lovely guy. I don't think he would have described himself as an absolute paragon of virtue. Yeah. But this guy had principles. Mm-hmm. The employer said, falsify the logbook. He said, I won't do that. That's lying. Mm -hmm. There's a commandment against that. I'm not going to lie. The employer said, I will fire you. And he did fire him. He said, I lost my job because I wouldn't lie. Interesting, isn't it? How how this was a man who had real scruples about something many people might not even think too much about. Well, it's in those moments that the rubber hits the road and we have to realize, am I going to stand true for God? Or am I going to stand true for or try to protect myself or protect my job? And we can know that when the history records that when we stand true for God, he blesses and honors you in some form or fashion. You know, you may lose that job, but I've heard many stories where people get another job and they're making better money oh, and yeah. better hours and this kind of thing. So it's always it always pays. It's always, always a win always. to be faithful to God no matter what the circumstances. It'd be great if we did a program one day and just talked about those success yeah, stories. Yeah, that's right. You know, because there right. is just so good. many of them where people, sure you know, you lose your job and the next thing. It happened to me. Mm-hmm. I lost a job because my employer requested that I work on the Sabbath and I wouldn't do it. And I was a brand new Christian. I don't even know if I was attending church yet. 
Mm. Couldn't have been. I couldn't have been. Mm. And uh, I just had to trust that God would provide a better way. And he did. I got a better job earning much more money working five days a week, I think. It was just better all the way around. You could probably tell thousands of stories like this. Powerful. Yeah, yeah, because God said, them that honor me, I will honor. That's right. He's faithful. Here's a question from Deborah West. I don't know what you make of this. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole question because it gets a bit weird, but she says, do demons have flesh and blood? I know somebody says they can cast them out of people, but when they don't leave, and that's when it gets weird. Do demons have flesh and blood? Well, you know, demons are fallen angels. They are the devil's associates. And the Bible talks about the angels of God in book of Hebrews chapter 1 being ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. That's us. And so God's angels are sent forth as ministering spirits to help us. Sometimes, you know, you hear stories about angels taking human form. That's right. Interacting with people. And the Bible even says that. Be careful to entertain strangers because they may be angels that are coming to attend to you. And so if the angels of God are spirits, as the Bible says, they have spiritual bodies, spiritual nature, then the devil's angels would be the same. So flesh and blood, no. They are spiritual beings uh, operating, obviously, for the devil, not in a good cause, but they would have that same nature as the other ones. Yeah, so no, not flesh and blood, but we do know that they can appear at times in uh, in human form. That's That's important to remember. Okay, Ella asks us this. Since people return to the dust when they pass away, why does the pastor or preacher say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust? What does this mean and why is it stated? Is it biblically correct? Well, I don't think it's biblically incorrect because uh, we do turn into dust. That's right. You know, some people or even this could bring up the context or the subject of cremation. And with cremation, you're turned into ashes or dust just a little bit faster than you would naturally. So ashes, you know, pretty much the same substance as dust. It's just particles of yeah, dust. That's right. And so I think it's kind of a cultural saying. There's nothing unbiblical about it. You, you get it in the Bible where God yeah. formed man of the dust of the that's ground. Right. And then later in Genesis 3, he says to Adam, uh, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. Dust you are and unto dust you shall return. That's right. I think that's that's the so, point there. That's yeah, the origin it's a biblical of biblical statement. Yeah, sure it is. We don't have much time, so why don't we answer a question? We'll do our very best. Mm-hmm. And this is from Peter. Do angels have gender? Are angels male or female? What's the answer? Well, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12 that angels neither marry or are given in marriage And so they are not sexual beings. Now, many times the angels appear with a masculine form, Gabriel. Whether God has uh, feminine type of angels, we don't know. The Bible says that God made man and woman in his image, Mm -hmm. and so male and female who created them. So, you know, whether or not they have genders, I don't think that it really matters. They're angels of God. They're there to serve him. Amen. Follow-up question. Is there hierarchy in angels, angelic divisions or grades or something like that? What we do know is there's an archangel, a leader over the angels. I'm not necessarily saying that's an angel, but a leader of the angels. There are seraphim and there are cherubim, different kinds of angels, one with two wings, one with four. So there is some variation. Some excel in strength and others in other things, the Bible says. There we go. Thanks for your question. And, And we're out of time. But it's been great. We'll do it again next time with Wes Peppers. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been Line Upon Line. Thanks for joining us. Brought to you by It Is Written.